Sean, what's your favorite like barbershop quartet song? Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Billy Joel's The Longest Time. <laughs> oh, dear God. You know, I, I knew if I put that question out there, I'd get a hell of an answer. But once again, you surprised me. Uh, I, I've been... You know, I'm I'm a huge Disneyland fan. I was just talking to your daughter uh, moments ago about how many times I've gone to Disneyland. Um, she's no longer in the room. It's it's quiet over there. There's no Cookie Monster baking sounds and stuff. But we we uh, hope we hope. But uh, one of my dreams is Disneyland has uh, an acapella you know group called uh, the Dapper Dance. Uh, you know, who are on Main Street USA, they're dressed up in old fashioned, old timey clothes, and they do, you know, these great standards. Named uh, after uh, Oh Brother Art Thou, of course. I'm sure that, yeah, uh, I'm sure the Disney went into the future mm-hmm. to get the name and then go back in time. Yeah, I think you're right. Yes. Uh, and, but one of my dreams is to to be on Main Street USA at Disneyland eating uh, a Mickey Mouse pretzel. This is one of my favorite things, by the way, to do it, isn't it? Is listen to the ragtime piano, eat a Mickey Mouse pretzel, and drink a Coke. Um, I pay $100 to do it, but it's it's a wonderful time. But uh, I've been there, and, and the, the barbershop quartet's singing, and they're doing these great songs and stuff. And and I've asked, I said, hey, can you can can you guys do Baby on Board from The Simpsons? You know? <laughs> uh, and unfortunately, due to copyright, they cannot do it, which is like a real, real bummer for me because that would just make my life perfect. Uh, speaking of perfection, uh, Pitch Perfect 2 is out this week. Pitch uh, Perfection. Pitch Perfection, yeah. It, it's in the theaters. Uh, and uh, you haven't seen it yet, right, Sean? Came no, no. We're, we're going on, on Sunday. Uh, the, the wife wanted to see it. So I, I have to wait until she's uh, able. Okay. Otherwise, I would have been there last night. Right. Well, she. I know. I know your wife, and she's a big fan of Vomit Angels. So I can understand what her anticipation to go see this this film. Because I, I bet you, there's going to be twice as much vomit as in the first film. Uh, oh, uh, let's hope. I, I'm I'm sure she just wants to get out of the house. Sure. That's. I'm sure that's it. Uh, but tying in with Pitch Perfect two. Uh, we are talking about two films uh, set in schools uh, that are musicals, and uh, one of them being Linda, Linda, Linda from 2005, which I've talked about on the show uh, a few times. It was your first time seeing it. Um, Japanese film uh, from Nobuhiro Yamashita, um, and you picked The Affairs of Dobie Gillis from 1953, uh, which is one of your favorite musicals, or a musical that you really enjoy that I had not seen. So uh, it's gonna, I think it's going to be a fun episode. Mm-hmm. Um, tying in with obviously the pitch perfect, we're also going to talk about Anna Kendrick, uh, who will be the person of the week. Um, although and, really she's the person of every week <laughs> and fair warning that segment will be Sean talking for 10 minutes straight because I have absolutely nothing to say about Anna Kendrick, but oh, man. that's all right. Uh, we'll pick our essential college film and, um, Talk about some other stuff. Uh, the, the blockbuster season is on, upon us, and we'll we'll dive into that as well. But uh, we've got a jam packed show this week, so uh, let's let's start off with a little little bit of uh, the rock and roll powerhouse that is Linda, Linda, Linda. <laughs> 
Okay, so Linda, Linda, Linda came out uh, 10 years ago, and it's a, a Japanese language film uh, about some high school seniors, uh, a group of girls who are uh, near the end of the school year, there's this kind of festival. There, There's like, uh, you know, table booths with crepes and uh, games, and there's a haunted house and stuff. And then it, there's also a, kind of a rock festival in the gymnasium where, um, you know, school bands play and as the movie begins we find out that this this group of women uh their band is on hiatus because their guitarist broke her finger and uh, but they still want to play this show um and so they decide to uh ask a korean exchange student um played by uh, Bay Duna, uh, if if she wants to join them and be their singer, uh, while the their singer becomes the guitarist, and they kind of shuffle things around, um, and they have three days to get ready and learn some cover songs for this show, and the movie basically just follows them over that co the course of the three days. It, it takes its time with them. Uh, it shows them practicing. It shows them just kind of hanging out. Um, talking about life and 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 sitting on a roof and just you know passing the time, um, and and you just get a real sense for you know this kind of tentative camaraderie with this exchange student and and the kind of past history with um, this group uh, of young adults, and uh, I just think it's the bee's knees. I really do. I, I've I've talked about this on the show before. I think I even listed it in one of my top ten lists of uh, all time or something at some point. Um, and Linda, Linda, Linda. It, it's kind of a special movie for me because I think it really captures better than any movie that I can think of that world of being in a band and and not even the moments of actually playing music and and working on a on trying to get a cover song right or anything like that but those moments in between where you're sitting with your instruments at a bus stop um you're all kind of you know constantly thinking about the band and um just just making that your focal point uh letting everything else wash away and just and focusing on the band and and how you can do that when you're young and obsessive and i just i i really love this movie and i i wonder how um it like sean you you haven't been in bands or anything like that did, did, did the movie still affect you in a way or did you see it from a distance um i i haven't been in bands but uh but i could tell that that uh, that it has that feel, if if that makes sense. Like I got the 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 feeling of what it was like to be in a band just in watching the movie and in in the 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 rhythms of uh, of Yamashita's uh, filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, I, I I did other you know obsessive things in high school, and it had 
that and it has that that you know the similar kind of feeling the spaces in between the the hard work working and on trying to get things right and and just all of like the little personal dramas and and backstories that go back years that like slowly work their way out like this is a movie that has like the the rhythm of everyday life and it's really uh it's really neat i um i don't know i i really liked it I mean, I'm glad, it's, I'm glad it, to hear it. It's a movie that people have been telling me to see for years, and I just had never gotten around to it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I did, and I'm glad that it it met all of my expectations. Yeah, I, I was glad rewatching it because, you know, sometimes you, you you see a movie. I'd only seen it once before, but you know, you kind of see a movie, and and you really respond to it at the time, and you start telling people and and forcing it upon people, and then when you come around back to it, you're you're like, well, I, I hope I. I hope my opinion that first time was actually kind of correct. And, and once again, yeah, seeing it again, just reinforces all of those, those elements. And I love, like you referred to how the movie just really just gives you little inklings of what, of what the, the previous experiences that this, this group had. And, and, you know, there's, uh, there's a rift between two of them, uh, someone who's not in this new iteration of the band and, uh, and but you don't get in. They don't dive into it. It's never like a huge dramatic moment. There's never a big reveal or anything. But the the film just kind of parcels these things out very organically. Um, but it never makes it the focal point of the film. Where you know there's very little actual drama to this film. It's more of just giving you a, you know creating a, a believable, uh, breathable living world, um, and, and just luxuriating in it, you know, like just sitting in that practice room with the four of them, um, as they, you know, play the song, you know, really late at night when they, you know, they're not supposed to be practicing. And so they sneak into the practice room and they're, you know, playing it quietly and trying to whisper the song. And, uh, just those moments just add up to this, just heartwarming and just beautiful, uh, experience. Yeah, it's really unusual how how not melodramatic it is for for a high school movie. Like I, I've seen a fair number of, of Japanese, Korean, you know, Chinese uh, movies kind of set with kids around this age, and there's always something like horrible that happens to somebody. Mm-hmm. Usually, mm-hmm. something really violent. Uh, but there's nothing at all like that at all. There there is no melodrama. There's there's drama, but that is is something different. Yeah, um, the the most dramatic or the the, the scene that, uh, to my mind, that is the most quote unquote like dramatic scene is the scene of um, the guitarist um, speaking to uh, the former guitarist and getting your guitar and being like, "Hey, it's not your fault that you know things ended this way or something like it's not," it, and it's just this casual encounter and then. Uh, the the woman's mom comes home and says, "Invite her inside," and then it's yeah. over. <laughs> it's just really mellow. I love it. Yeah, and there's like the uh, the the kind of race to the to the show at the end, right? That is is more comical than anything else. Uh, and the uh, there's a really great scene where the boy who has a crush on on Beiduna, oh, so great, goes to meet him her and. Yeah, it's just it's 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 weird and and sweet. Uh, the 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 dream sequence where the the guitarist girl gets a is given a, a hand, yeah, a man's hand, like <laughs> so she can play better because her hands are too small to play the guitar. <laughs> yeah, 
And then the Ramones show up, and and then they're at Budokan, which is just great. Uh, yeah, I, what I love going back to what you were just saying, uh, also about this is 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 how the the world is kind of uh, fleshed out with these side characters, these characters mm-hmm. that aren't part of the core group. But you've got the boy that has the crush on Beiduna. Um, you've got one of my favorite characters, and we only see him like two two or three times, but he's in the first scene. He's like a filmmaker. Who's uh, who's who's filming the festival, and uh, he's got this great scene where he goes into a haunted house um, and he gets scared, and he's just this geeky guy with glasses, uh, just doing his thing, trying out all the different foods and stuff. Um, and then, uh, probably my favorite character in the whole thing, maybe is the, is this kind of older, wiser drunken guitarist uh who's she she just hangs out on the roof of the school we never see her in a classroom um right she's she's too cool to actually be in a band yeah she all of her friends like moved on you know like graduated the year before and she but she's really talented you know but she just sits up there drinking um (laughs) and uh she's wearing like a a track suit and she's just kind of seen it all and that character really reminds me of something that you would see like on uh, like freaks and geeks or something where it just really captures that. I don't even want to say stereotype, but you know, that person that you remember from high school, like sure. we all had someone like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Fr- freaks and geeks is a great, uh, uh, correlative. I think also dazed and confused Yeah, uh, is very similar in, in just the kind of slowness and, uh, and kind of mundanity of the events. Like it, it, it took me a while to realize that that all of this was happening in only a couple of days. Yeah, which is which is crazy. Like it, it feels like so much happens, but it's only over three days. Like for them to to do that much work to learn these songs and to come together as a band, because the first time you hear them, they're terrible. You see them play the song; they are they're just awful, and they're like obviously awful, like every single one of them. And you see them kind of get better and better as as the movie goes on and it's it's very kind of realistic how that happens like it's not just like a throwing a switch and one day they're amazing even in their final performance they're still clearly like an amateur cover band right and they just they kind of get through on just you know uh the sweat of it all and just the you know exuberance of playing this this fun you know rudimentary music and and it's a really it's it's a difficult thing to you know, I don't know the backstory on 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 these you know actors in the film. I, I did I did do a little research, and uh, the actress that plays uh, Nozomi, the bassist, she's in a band like in yeah. real life in Baseball Bear. But um, but to play like those early scenes, they like you said, they look like they have no idea what they're doing, and that's really hard to do when you actually know what you're doing. Um, to to kind of fake, you know. Uh, stumbling through a song or something like that, uh, but it seems so genuine. It really does tap into that. Yeah, I think uh, I think the best performance, clearly, and and she is amazing. Is is Beiduna? Like it, she's a, a force of nature in this movie. I I have seen her in in several movies before, and, and I've always liked her. But but this this is is the one. This is the one that convinces me that like she's capable of anything. Like she has crazy eyes. She can do anything she she has a scene in the movie that uh really goes to show those talents where she they're practicing late at night and 
uh, once again, this just captures what it's like to, you know, be in this kind of environment where you're all together at the practice space, but, you know, one person's checking their cell phone. The other person is uh, just kind of sitting there jamming to themselves quietly or whatever. And she she walks off and she walks to the, the auditorium where they're ultimately going to play. And there's nobody there. It's late at night. And she walks out on the stage and she play acts their performance. Yeah, she does all the uh, the band introductions and everything, like all of like the pre-show banter. And there's like, you know, to an imaginary audience. Yeah, and there's like a hopefulness in her eyes and just, there's like a twinkle going on. And it's just, uh, like you said, it it's a it's a hell of a performance. And, it, and even like moments, there's other moments when you see them practicing. There's a, there's a wonderful shot from like down the hallway of them. Like it's shot through a doorway of them practicing and they get through the song once and uh, in, you know, fair, fairly uh, decent, you know, a de fairly decent version. And uh, just like the energy that she brings to it in that moment uh, is great. And the way that she sells this tentative relationship because she does not, you know, she's not, uh she doesn't very, she doesn't speak she, japanese yeah she's not conversant in japanese and so she has this fish out of water kind of quality to her but she's so optimistic you know like she gets invited to join this band and she says yes before she even realizes what she's talking about right i think i think she was just saying yes yeah. she, like she had no idea what she was actually saying when she like uh they say that they're gonna that the next person that passes by is going to be the singer in their band. So they see her and they just say, Hey, you wanna join the band? She's like, Yes. Yeah. And then she realizes the ramifications of that. And yeah, anyway, she's yeah, it's a wonderful, wonderful performance. And I I, I too have seen her in a number of things. Um and I've I've always liked her too. Um I, I really like um her performance in Bong Joon-ho's first film, the one that I can't think of the title right now. Uh, Barking Dogs Never Bar Yeah, bite. Barking Dogs Don't Bite uh, or Never Bite. Um, I think that's her first or second role, and she's yeah. she's very good in that. And but this is this is one for the ages. Uh, she's she's in a uh, 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 Corey de Hirokazu film called Air Doll, in which she plays a doll that comes to life. That is uh, is pretty weird, and it's a. Uh, it's a, a, a performance ideally suited to to some of her best qualities as an actress. <laughs> uh, she's also in uh, in the last two uh, films by the Wachowskis, uh, Cloud right. Atlas and, and Jupiter Sending. And she's in a uh, they're doing a, a Netflix TV series, and she's going to star in that. So, yeah, she's yeah. I give her all the roles. She's yeah. she's my Anna Kendrick. Yeah, <laughs> they, uh, they need to to put the two of them together in a movie. Oh my gosh, the world couldn't handle it. Uh, uh, so what, what do you think of the music in this? Uh, both the, the Blue Hearts and the, the incidental music, which is uh, by James Eha from The Smashing Pumpkins. It is, it is by James Eha of The Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, James Eha's work is, it's fine. It's not, you know, it's, it's just usually like little mellow, you know, acoustic guitar, you know, riffs, little arpeggios and stuff. And it's fine, you know, I... I could take it or leave it. Uh, I love the music that the band plays, though. They, they do these, yeah, like you said, the Blue Hearts uh, with the song Linda, 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 and uh, a couple others. Endless Song, which has the great lyric, like, I want to sing an endless song for this asshole of a world or something, <laughs> which is just great. Um, and, and, I mean, that's part of the reason I love this movie is that the music that they're making um, 
is music that I can really respond to. Like it really taps into to me at that age and, and that kind of, you know, energy of, of punk rock and kind of just, you know, simple rudimentary songs. And, um, well, let me ask you this on, on the, uh, on our pitch perfect show, we talked about rock and roll high school and we listened to the Ramones and I'm, I'm curious which, which film to you more captures the spirit of punk rock, uh, rock and roll high school or Linda, Linda, Linda. Well, I mean, what I like because they're two very different movies. That's a very hard question because yeah. uh, uh, Rock and Roll High School is such a subversively surrealistic kind of experience where it captures kind of the the goofiness of punk rock that's not really present too much in Linda Linda Linda. Uh, Linda 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 to me is much more capturing the reality of that, you know, and 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 kind of the you know Rock and Roll High School is like a fable. Uh, almost where you know you only get the highs of, of that movie you know where it, it's joey ramone singing to you in your bedroom and stuff like that um and while there is a dream sequence in linda 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 most of it like we've said is is those moments in between so uh i think of what captures the actual day-to-day reality linda 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 uh, all the way but Rock and Roll High School has a giant, you know, six foot mouse that gets into a punk rock show and is like headbanging. So, you know. <laughs> okay. Uh, a follow up question. Yes. Is there anything at all, anything that is punk rock about James Eha? <laughs> uh, you want to hear my James Eha story? Yes. Uh, so, in. As the James Eha of this podcast, I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated. You're the Darcy of this podcast. Oh, so. oh thank you. I'm the Jimmy Chamberlain. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm on heroin as we speak. Uh, the, uh, so I think it was 95 or 96, some, sometime in that era. You know, I was 14, 15, um, and I was on Hate Street because that's what you're doing when you're 14 or 15. <laughs> you know, And we were in, it's my friends true. and I... It's true. That's yeah, I was do. there when I was 15, too. Yeah. See? It's the only time you can go to Hate Street and not be, like, totally pathetic. Yes. When you're 15 years old. But my friends and I were in this, like, kind of boutique store, and um, and James Eha walks in. And, you know, I'm 15. Like, I, this is my first time, like, being right next to, like, a uh, a rock star. Like, a literal rock star. And and when he was still a rock star. You sure. know what I mean? Yeah. This is, like, melancholy and even a sadness time. Yeah. Um, Peak, and he came peak in, pumpkins. Peak pumpkins. And my best, my my best friend at the time, uh, had to have been like fourteen, maybe. But I had a friend uh, who I was the Nirvana kid, and he was the Smashing Pumpkins kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I we we, you know, crossed paths. Obviously, there's enough like, room for both. In, there's in enough room for both. But like, I was like diehard. I mean, I would wear. It's kind of embarrassing now. Like I would wear a Nirvana ba- Nirvana baseball cap, a Nirvana shirt, and like a Nirvana patch on my pants at the same time. And it's now you like, only do that I with the Melvins, right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> good thing I didn't, you know, get into the idea of tattoos back then, or I'd be screwed. But anyway, uh, so James Eho walks in, and and I think he had left like his while he was shopping in the neighborhood, he left bags that he had purchased behind the counter or something. And so, and it was a small little boutique place upscale um, on hate street. And he walks in and he's wearing like a fur coat and stuff. And I was dumbstruck, you know, like I was like, I couldn't, I mean, I couldn't say anything. I just kind of stood there. Like, like I couldn't believe it. You know, James Eha is in the same room as me. Um, 
which looking back on it, I think is absolutely hilarious because, um, are you, are you sure it was him and not just a random Japanese man in a fur coat? No, it was James Iha. He had like the dyed, you know, his hair was like bleached, uh, white, yeah. the, the fur coat, you know, no, it was definitely him. Cause my friend, the smashing pumpkins nut was there and he, uh, he, I think he may have even pointed him out or whatever, but yeah, I was definitely awestruck by, by James Iha. But, uh, yeah, there's nothing punk rock about James E. <laughs> no, I, I actually like uh, his music here. I think it it uh, it's not, you know, musically fitting with with what uh, what they're doing as a band, but it is fitting with kind of like the springtime high school. Oh sure. Time passing vibe that that the movie has going on. Yeah, I wouldn't, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't buy the incidental music on a CD. You know what I mean? To this, no. like, it works. It's it's serviceable. It's fine, but. Um, it's, but nothing it's, more. It, it's not obtrusive, you know. It's, it doesn't get in the way. Yeah, so. it's 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 pretty. It's not annoying. It's it's fine. Yeah, 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 it's fine. It's fine. Uh, so on that note, let's let's hear some music that's not just fine. Some music that totally rocks. Uh, we're gonna be listening to the Vaselines today uh, because they kind of capture that kind of childlike enthusiasm of 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 uh, bands like you know uh in linda 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 and stuff like that so uh here's the song the day i was a horse All right, so as we talked about last episode, uh, the Seattle International Film Festival is starting, started yesterday, and we've been watching a lot of movies to get ready for that, and we're going to talk about those on the next episode in two weeks. But uh, before we do that, um, I wonder, Mike, if yes. you've been watching anything that is not SIF-related. So what's Mike watching? Uh, Mike's not watching too much that's not SIF related. Yeah, I've already watched uh, five, five or six movies for the festival uh, so far. And uh, yeah, like you said, we're we're going to be diving into a lot more. Um, I've got a backlog of like twelve or something screeners um, <laughs> that I'm hoping to watch in the next fourteen days or so. I think um, we've already doubled our coverage from last year. <laughs> yeah, we 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 definitely have. I have for sure. Um, so. 
yeah, I think we're going to have a, some good discussions next time. Uh, but other than that, the only thing I've seen is, uh, as we mentioned previously, uh, blockbuster season is upon us. And I did my due diligence and I did go out and see uh, the Avengers Age of Ultron film sequel to the 2012 uh, blockbuster. And uh, it's not very good. (laughs) Uh, Were you a fan of the first one? I was a fan of the first one. You know, um, I'm I come to I came to that movie from Joss Whedon. You know what I mean? Like, I haven't seen the you know, I haven't seen any of the Thor movies um, I hadn't seen the the Edward Norton Incredible Hulk. I had, I'd only seen the first Iron Man, you know. So, um, I'm not a Marvel movie nut, as it were. You know sure. what I mean? Um, but Joss Whedon was kind of my in, you know. And and I and I think that there in the first one, there's enough. Uh, there there's the 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 glimpses of Joss Whedon's personality um, are are clearly the highlights of that movie. I love the introduction of Black Widow in that movie, and I think he does some really interesting things within this kind of tentpole, you know, Hollywood cookie cutter kind of blockbustery thing. Um, it, I thought it was the the weakest Joss Whedon release of that year, which included Much Ado About Nothing, which I think is a lot better, and Cabin in the Woods, which I am a huge fan of. Um, so the Avengers was clearly not not. <laughs> not not amazing uh ultron unfortunately i was expecting i you know i i'm a fool basically is you know i i, I felt like oh well he had the success of the first one he's gonna get more leverage he's gonna be able to stamp more of his personality onto this thing um and there once again there are glimpses of it but they're fleeting and and it's and the whole movie is just inert to me like there was just like it's it's so many disparate parts and trying to please so many different facets you know um that it just it doesn't work um which is which is a i I don't even want to say it's a shame because now joss whedon can go off and create something original again (laughs) and i'll be happy but um yeah i i it's it's the safest thing Joss Whedon has ever done. And, you know, that's a sad thing to say. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. I have almost no interest in seeing it. I don't think I've seen a Marvel movie since The Adventures. Uh, and I enjoyed it fine the first time I saw it. The second time, uh, I did not think it was good. Yeah. Uh, I, well, it's... Yeah. I it's it's a lot better than its sequel. The sequel, like at least the first one kind of flows somewhat naturally. Like it, the events kind of make sense. Like, oh, I mean, I don't know the whole backstory about this cube and all that weird stuff, but like um, there's a progression to the narrative to that first one that I think is, is somewhat fleet. Uh, especially considering that you're, you're dealing with like a half dozen major characters and stuff like that. This one it's like Thor goes off and does something in a pool of something. And then there's this other thing and they just, they just never coalesce. And then, and then it feels like a retread of the first one because you know, the, the third acts in these Marvel movies are always the worst. Yeah. They're, you know? they're terrible. And uh, I have seen a Marvel movie since I saw gardens of the galaxy last year. Oh yeah. Um, I saw that too. I didn't care for that one. <laughs> yeah. And, and the, these movies are, they're all the same. Yeah. And they're 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 getting 
more so. <laughs> like, I feel like the first Iron Man was was something kind of new in that it was a little quippy, mm-hmm. and that there was like some humor to it. Well, uh, which that, which was Spider Man movies. You got those in Sam Raimi's Spider Mans. Yeah, but those were were goofier. They weren't they weren't like Joss Whedon. Right. like Robert Downey Jr.'s performance and that kind sure. of set the the model for what every other movie that they've produced has tried to be. Well, and 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 about that, that's actually one of the worst parts of Ultron is that those quippy Joss Whedon things that we we know and love, they with um, I can't think of one that landed well in this. Like they all felt really labored. Like Yeah, well they're that it's exhausting. Yeah, it's just it's it's not a sustainable thing to make dozens of movies in the one style. Like Same there's way. there's a reason why there's one cabin in the woods. Like you you right. wouldn't make a zillion of them. You'd get sick of it. And even you know the cabin in the woods. I don't I don't think it's as good the second time around. It's just there's nothing there's nothing else going on in those movies. They're not about anything. And they are all exactly the same thematically, dramatically visually there's just there's nothing of interest in those yeah. movies the it's funny to me the the ones i i have seen both captain america movies and for some reason and i never considered my i never read captain america i was never but those two to me might be the strongest of the of the lot for some reason and i think it's because captain america uh, he's not a quippy character. He, 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 his, his, his thing is kind of separate, kind of different than what you see in these other ones. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and I don't know. There was something about. I mean, it's not great. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to advocate that the Winter Soldier is like the greatest movie ever. But there are fleeting moments in it that, um, and it might just be my enduring love for Community, and it's directed by the Russo brothers who did the uh, paintball episode of Community. So. Maybe that's what it is, but <laughs> yeah, I mean the the only the only twenty first century Marvel movies I'm really interested in ever watching again are are Ang Lee's Hulk and Spider Man Three. So. Yeah, I also really want to I I want to revisit Spider Man Three because I have a feeling I'm gonna like it a lot more now because because yeah. at least it took chances. You know yeah, what I mean? It did. Like so, it, it did something. It was you know willing to be weird. I hated it at the and time. And unpredictable. I hated it when it came out. Oh my god! Did yeah, I hate but you were you were sitting by annoying people though. Well, and I had that a very, always ruins. Very bad experience. Yeah. With it. but um, I do want to rewatch that. Um, I, I think I think that um, that's interesting because I I was thinking today because uh, I went and saw uh, the new Mad Max movie Fury Road last night and it's really good, um, and and this is shaping up to be like a really good year for English language action films. And it, I went and looked back at it. And the last time there was a, such a really good year was, was 2012, which was the year of the Avengers. And the Avengers is not one of like the five or six best English language action films of that year. So, well, it, it's rare. Yeah. It's rare that the, the usually it seems to me that the, 
the it's always going to the innovative and uh, the the movies that have the, that kind of quality to them when it comes to like an action movie or something like that is not going to be the ones that you, that are the expected ones. Should I say like sure. like Dark Knight Rises also came out that year and talk mm-hmm. about a lumbering piece of you know malarkey. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's the, the littler, it's the, the, the Resident Evil, ones. the the Universal Soldier, the the Dread. Were like the my big three favorite from from 2012. Sure, and and in in along the same lines, my my favorites from this year are are, are Fury Road and Jupiter Ascending and Black Hat, right. all all of which. Uh, well, Fury Road's getting uh, uh, good buzz around it, and it's it appears got, and it appears to be doing doing very well. But the right. first two were 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 you know tremendous flops. So right, right. So yeah, yeah, yeah I, I, that's, actually, that's that's me with my my thumb on the pulse of the American market. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, you know we're gonna do our Bay Dune Anna Kendrick movie, and we're you know we're gonna that, reap that in gonna the millions. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Um, yeah, yeah, speaks, well, yeah. Speaking of Anna Kendrick, yeah. she's our person of the week uh, because of Pitch Perfect and and all that stuff. And and like I said at the beginning of the show. Uh, I think that movie is the only one I've seen with her in it. So I have very little to say about Anna Kendrick, but I know that you have enough to say for the two of us. So why, why don't you give us, why don't you try and... It can't possibly be the only Anna Kendrick movie you've seen. Well, while you, while you kind of set up the allure of Anna Kendrick, I will look at her filmography and tell you if there's anything else of hers I've seen. I can't uh, how to, how to define the allure of Anna Kendrick. I, I uh, there's a, an article in in BuzzFeed of all places today about about Anna Kendrick's star persona. Sean reads BuzzFeed. Uh, uh, <laughs> somebody somebody retweeted it into sure my, my they Twitter. Did. Uh, you've seen Scott Pilgrim versus the World. <laughs> oh, that's right. She's in that. That's right. Oh, yeah. oh, I've seen Paranorman. She she does a voice in Paranorman. Uh, yeah, you've seen Twilight. All I've the Twilight movies. Nope, I've missed out on those. You yeah. just watched. You just watched it though, didn't you? I did. We 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 watched it. The, the wife is also a big Anna Kendrick fan, and we've been watching some of her uh, her earlier work, uh, including Twilight, which is uh, not a good movie. Uh, <laughs> we watched we watched Camp, which was uh, her first movie uh, from two thousand three. And uh, that's a really interesting movie. It's not good, uh-huh. but but she is really great in it, and she has like this small part. Well, whereas that it's, seems like it's kind of. I mean, this is my ignorance speaking, but it seems like oftentimes, at least when I follow you or you know what you've seen on Letterboxd, that tends to be often the caveat. Like you you see a movie with her in it, and you're like, yeah, it wasn't a good movie, but she was good. Yeah, well, she <laughs> like isn't that a flaw? Like that she's making these bad choices. Like she's in well, bad movies. And this is this is part of the the thing with her star persona is that she always appears separate from and superior to her material. And what, what, and what kind of material do you think would that she hasn't done, or maybe not done enough of that that would kind of meet? her on the level of awesomeness that she herself is at. Well, uh, I'm, I was thinking that, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that she is a star in, in the, 
I don't know that she's a lead in the way that we've like come to define lead actresses. And that's been part of her problem is that she's in all of these supporting roles because nobody, nobody ever really considered her a lead uh, because she was too short or because she was just too weird or because she was too, you know, musical or whatever. Uh, she just never really got lead parts until, until Pitch Perfect really. And, and even that was not expected to be a hit at all. Right. And it's only after that was a, you know, surprisingly popular that she's been able to to do more work and and carry movies like uh uh the Lesjo Swanberg movie that came out last year. Um she uh Happy Christmas is uh is almost entirely defined by the quality of her performance. Like she is great in it. There are other good actresses in it, but it is Anna Kendrick's movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and and you know and then uh, the the same year she had she had a great 2013 she she was in Happy Christmas and she's terrific in that she's in uh, Into the Woods, which uh, I'm uh, Rob I'm, Marshall apologist over here. It's Rob. It's easily Rob Marshall's best movie, <laughs> and I made my opinion about Rob Marshall very clear. I think on the the Chicago episode, but but this is not bad. Uh, even Rob Marshall could not ruin. Uh, Stephen Sondheim, uh, and then she also did this musical, uh, The Last Five Years, which is not very well directed, and the other lead is not nearly as good as she is, but it's still a, a pretty solid movie. Um, and so she's, you know, like the lead actress in all in three movies in a single year, and she's really good. Uh, I feel like. Do you think she could be like? Maybe they're not making the types of movies that she would kind of. Be that would be like her wheelhouse anymore, like like good kind of quippy romantic comedies or something, or like I don't know because screwball comedies. Well, th- this was your problem with Pitch Perfect, right? Was that was that she didn't fit with her her male lead? Like she yeah, just I seemed wonder, so much cooler than him, so much is, more is, interesting. Do you know if he's in the new one? Or did uh, they, I think they, I think he has like a, a small a, a token cameo. Yeah, I'm yeah, not that sure. guy was dead weight. Yeah. yeah, and like I said at the time, I think Anna Kendrick is. Uh, I think she in that movie she's very talented and she she sells herself. I just think the entire movie surrounding her is terrible. Yeah, you know? and but, and uh, and that's like and that that is that is a thing with her in these movies is that that nobody ever matches up to her, and I think it's it's partly her persona. Like she just seems smarter or cooler or or above everything that she's in and I don't really know how how anyone could harness that like that's not it's not an unusual thing like Cary Grant always seemed like he was you know outside of the movie that he was performing and he was always you know performing a Cary Grant thing so it's not like an impossible thing for a movie star to be well but but it hasn't really been kind of harnessed I think Happy Christmas kind of comes the closest to like defining an, uh, an Anna Kendrick star performance but even that, um, it's just it's not a a particularly great movie. I think it needed like a better director who was more you know focused than just Weinberg. Yeah, well, I th- I think that's the thing. I think maybe she needs to start working with those kind of A list, you know, those offbeat A listers. Like if she was in like a Coen Brothers thing, like a Hudsucker Proxy type of thing or something like that. Yeah, uh, that, I think that could work. 
Yeah, I mean, she she could have like Jennifer Jason Lee's career, um, or uh, I was thinking, and maybe it's just because I saw Fury Road last night, but but Charlize Theron has kind of the same problem. Like like she never really fits into the movies that she's in, uh, and her best showcase was in in Young Adult, uh, which needed a better director than than Jason Reitman. So I I don't know. Uh, my my ideal project would be. Uh, you know the the Gene Kelly Frank Sinatra Navy trilogy, right? Uh, I want I want a, a remake of that with with Anna Kendrick in the Frank Sinatra part, and then uh, Sutton Foster in the Gene Kelly part, and and Kristen Bell in the the comic relief part. That would be I I would see that. Yeah, and I think Kristen Bell also has like a, Kristen a, Bell also has, has the same version. You're yeah. very very good point. Yeah, she's like she like unfortunately for her. Out the gates, Veronica Mars was the perfect role for her, mm-hmm. and you and you. It's really hard to replicate that kind of role. It's a very, it's a demanding kind of thing. It's something that works better over a long period of time, um, and uh, yeah. And then since then, she's you know she was for a while saddled with those t- terrible romantic comedies, you know, and then. Um, you know, and now she does voiceover work for Frozen and gets billions of dollars. I'm sure. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't, I don't know, and I don't know if it's like if it's like a structural problem with Hollywood. Like there aren't enough, you know, women or or people who are attuned to women making movies that get, you know, that can get a, a star of the caliber of of Anna Kendrick or or Charlize Theron to to be in them, or or what, but. I like I like that she's doing musicals. I like that she keeps doing musicals because you know you know I love musicals and I want to see them uh, be revived as a a uh, a viable genre in Hollywood. And of the eleven Anna Kendrick movies I've seen, let's say one, two, three, four of them, five of them are are musicals. Depending on what you think of Scott Pilgrim, I, I would consider a musical. So yeah. So hopefully that that continues that she that she's able to keep getting musicals funded and released because something like the last five years I don't think would have been released if if she Not wasn't right. in it right so well she's got you know you look at her filmography she's got like seven or eight things in the works right now so she's you know she's definitely working hard yeah. um so yeah you know I, maybe one of these days I'll see her in something else. <laughs> You really should. I mean, you, you you didn't like Pitch Perfect. You, you, did you like Scott Pilgrim? I I like Scott Pilgrim, uh, n- not as much as I want to. I love as you as you know. I'm a huge Edgar Wright fan. I think it's Edgar Wright's weakest feature. Um, I think it's 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 really interesting, and I th- and I really like what he was going for with it. I don't think the, the third act suffers a lot, but um, yeah. but yeah, it's, a, it's she, an interesting she, movie. She, she plays a very small role in that. Like, do you think she could have played the lead in Scott Pilgrim? No. Yeah, I don't think she could have. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but I, I don't know why that is. But she could have played like Allison Pill's role. I think she could have been the you know the drummer, the kind of brass drummer or something like that too, or something. Um, mm. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't know. We need we need more variety of roles. Well, I think, hey, I think it's the problem. Uh, you got you've had two great ideas tonight on the show that this uh Beiduna, anna kendrick you know buddy cop movie and then this uh on the town movie so i think we need to diy it my friend we gotta we gotta get can you tweet her let's tweet her up 
<laughs> uh, you know, there, there there are Hollywood goes through phases of remakes. Like there was like the 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 phase where they were remaking like every sitcom from the nineteen seventies, and now they're just like constantly rebooting the the superhero and sci fi movies. There there needs to be you know like a mass revival of all of the great musicals, all of the great MVM musicals. There, there's no reason why they can't do that. So yeah. I, I'm in favor. I want I want a new I want a new an American in Paris uh, on the town. I want I want more uh, another Kiss Me Kate. Well, but you know those things are happening. They're just they're happening on Broadway. Like an American yeah, in Paris exactly. is is huge right now. And uh, the, yeah, there was just an on the town uh, yeah. that that played a, a year or two ago. Yeah. So and uh, the, I, my, the talent is my, out there. My my thinking with that though is that. Um, and and this is something that I see as a Disney fan is that I I hate the new scores for Disney movies like the the progression that these kind of show tunes have moved into away from these I love the scores to the early Disney stuff you know I I think sure. this, the soundtracks for Snow White and stuff that is some of the best movie music ever made and looking at the stuff that's coming out in stuff like Frozen and um you know even princess and the frog which is randy newman and stuff they're just i don't know i i think modern yeah if if they're willing to revive the original scores that's great i don't know sure. if that'll happen but yeah you know. well i mean there's no reason why they they wouldn't i mean you can't do an american paris with like a new score that's that's insane um, i can see hollywood doing it but but uh you know there there aren't really good movie versions of stephen sondheim musicals like in, there are like filmed versions of plays, but there aren't Stephen Sondheim movies. So you know there is that whole, you know, genre genre of musicals that could be made that would be new. Um, but also, I you know the the Frozen score is is very Broadway, but I don't think it's bad. I think it, I think it's just fine. It's not. You know, it's not Rodgers and Hart. It's not George and Ivor Gershwin, but it, it, it's fine. The, the problem with Frozen is that it stops being a musical a third of the way through it and becomes an action movie, and there's no big closing musical number. So it's like a you, you took like half a Broadway musical and then and then slapped an action movie on the end of it. I I, I don't care for the score. To the, I like I, I think the melodies are really um, they're they're uninteresting, and then. Yeah, there's a shrillness to it. Well, I don't, I, just, I don't, I don't think you can, you can deny the, the, the catchiness of "Let It Go." I didn't say that. I didn't say it wasn't catchy. I just didn't yeah. said it was uninteresting. I mean, there are tons of catchy songs that, uh, you know, it's, it's not the inventiveness of the melody that makes yeah. it, you know. So, well, I'm, I'm curious what you think of "Into the Woods" as a, as a Disney fan. Yeah, I, well, Rob Marshall scares me, so you know. It's, uh, it's, he's, he's, he's not that bad. He, he, he kind of submits to the Disney house style. Right. Well, maybe I, maybe I will get around to it. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk now about college. Let's talk about, you know, the affairs of Dobie Gillis takes place obviously, uh, in, in a college setting, Greenbelt University. Um, and so our essential this week is, uh, essential college film. We, we talked about just doing open-ended school, but, um, you know, they're, they're high school is really easy because I mean, I don't know we probably both picked days and confused. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, but there, there's there's such a wealth of, of movies on you know set in those uh, locales that I feel like yeah, narrowing it down to the college years. Well, uh, well, they're Saved they're, by the Bell, the college years. They're they're different. They're different genres. Like like high school movies are are 
uh, a lot about, you know, they're both kind of about self-definition, but but high school movies tend to be about self-definition in relation to your parents, whereas college movies are, you know, just about being becoming an adult, or or conversely, refusing to become an adult. My film, my choice falls squarely in the latter column. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I'm going with uh, 1932's Horse Feathers, oh, uh, yeah. starring the Marx Brothers, and uh, Horse Feathers is my I, third favorite Marx Brothers movie. I love it to death. I really do. Um, and and say, calling it my third makes it sound like it's it, it's an inferior product, but it really is is not. It's it's just as ridiculous and goofy as Duck Soup and Monkey Business, which are my one and twos, um, and and Animal Crackers and all those great early half dozen Marx Brothers movies. Um, Horse Feathers takes place at um, Huxley College, where uh, some of the Marxes are students, uh, some of the Marxes are professors. And some of the Marxes are ringers for the football team uh, so that they can win their, you know, annual cup game, football game uh, against their, you know, rival school. And as as it is with every Marx Brothers movie, the setting really, you know, doesn't have much to do with the plot because there's not much of a plot. It's really ridiculous. Um, But it's got a zillion great scenes in it uh culminating in a chariot race on a football field um that is just for my money one of one of the greatest uh sequences that they've ever done and and you also get the wonderful speakeasy scene with swordfish as a password and uh and and Thelma Todd on the boat with every each one doing their own version of uh, everybody says I love you um which oh gosh just Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Yeah, I'm. I'm in no way surprised that you picked that. <laughs> uh, my my pick is uh, the college movie that I watched most often when I was in college. My friends and I uh, loved this movie, despite the fact that it is pretty objectively terrible. Uh, and that is PCU. I think you've talked about PCU before. Have I? I well, I mean, maybe not on the show, but yeah. In in my, you know, in life, in, in life, life, in life, I have often talked <laughs> about PCU. Uh, it came out in nineteen ninety four, which was, uh, of course, the year I started college, and it stars uh, Jeremy Piven, John Favreau, and David Spade. Which that sounds like a winner. It sounds like nineteen ninety four, and also, uh, uh, of course, George Clinton. Have you have you seen this uh, this masterpiece? I've, I've not seen. PCU. I, I am half a man. Well, it is. Uh, it is about a college that has uh, been uh, overrun with political correctness, and a young uh, uh, pre-freshman played by uh, Chris Young uh, is there to to visit for the weekend, and he joins the non-fraternity uh, group led by Jeremy Piven that. Uh, tends to uh, view college as an uh, an excuse to have parties as opposed to you know uh, put forth social causes and they have and they uh, uh, cause a great deal of chaos and uh, especially annoying to David Spade who runs the like rich guy uh, non fraternity and also the uh, the president of the university uh, played by Jessica Walter. 
from Arrested Development. From Arrested Development, yeah. Yeah. And it is uh, it is weird and hilarious, and I don't know that I've seen it sober. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, to be fair, to be fair, none of the movies we talk about on this show you've seen sober. So That is, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And we, we loved it at the time. I don't know did, that did anyone you, else did, does. Which, which character did you identify with? Did you identify with Jeremy Piven? Were you more of a David Spade or were you a Jessica Walter? I, I'm, I'm the Chris Young character. I, I, I wander around having no idea what's going on. Nice. That sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah. You know, before the show started, your, your daughter, we had our little pre-show Skype chat. And I asked her if, you know, she was talking about how she's been watching Winnie the Pooh. Mm-hmm. Asked her if, uh, you know, if her dad reminds her of Eeyore. And she, she said no, which I thought was kind of shocking. Um, yeah, I don't know that she really understood the concept of the question you're asking her. <laughs> well, I keep working on her on that. Uh, and then I will also ask her if, if uh, you remind her of Chris Young. So. Yeah, well, well, someday, someday she too will watch PCU, but she'll have to wait. <laughs> At least, at least five years before she can, okay. she can watch that. Well, let's let's move on to another college campus, uh, one that is equally uh, ridiculous as the one in Horse Feathers or in PCU. Um, let's let's start this off with a clip from the 1953 film "The Affairs of Dobie Gillis." My nights are lonely, there's no place to go. My one and only has gone, but I know that just to see her I'd crawl through the snow. But what's the use? It's impossible, so goodbye to spring and all it meant to me. It will never bring the thing that used to be. For I must have you or no one. And so I'm through with love. All right, so uh, when we were talking about Anna Kendrick, uh, I talked about what a, a terrific 2013 that she had. Well, 60 years earlier, Debbie Reynolds had an amazing 1953, and she, uh, starring in, in three musicals, uh, The Affairs of Dobie Gillis, and I Love Melvin, and Give a Girl a Break. Uh, two of those, uh, she appears with, with uh, a very young Bob Fosse, 
as a supporting actor in uh, in Dobie Gillis and, and Give a Girl a Break. In I Love Melvin, she co-stars with uh, her singing in the rain co-star Donald O'Connor. And uh, Melvin and, and Dobie Gillis are both directed by Don Weiss, who is is kind of like the the third string MGM musical director. Like you have your prestige guys, your Minnelli, your Stanley Donnan, and then you have uh, you know George Sidney and Charles Walters kind of uh, in the the second rung, and then you have Don Weiss down at the bottom making like the really cheap musicals. And Dobie Gillis is one of those really cheap musicals. And yeah, sh- short, you know. It's it's not even seventy five minutes flashy. long. Yeah, yeah. It's black and white, and uh, a black and white musical in the nineteen fifties is you know you know that's like B movie level. But I I I really love this movie, and I love all three of of these Debbie Reynolds movies. They're just so light and and so much fun. Uh, the Affairs of Dobie Gillis uh, went on to be a a, a TV series. That was uh, fairly uh, fairly popular uh, that I haven't seen since I was very little when they used to show 1950s sitcoms on Nickelodeon, which they don't do anymore. Now, like, they're, the old TV shows that they play are, like, from five years ago, which is really irritating, but that is not what we're talking about right now. Uh, uh, Bobby Van <laughs> plays, uh, plays Dobie Gillis, who is an incoming freshman at... Uh, What's the name of the university? It's uh, Grain Belt. Grain Belt University. And he has no interest in uh, any kind of subject at all. The only thing he is interested in is girls. And right away he sets his sights on Debbie Reynolds, who is very cute. And she, uh, uh, under the influence of her father, is, 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 uh, is determined to, to study very hard and... Uh, Bobby Van pretty pretty quickly convinces her to just have fun instead, and his roommate, who he meets on on opening day, is is Bob Fosse, playing uh, Charlie Trask, which I think is a great name. It's not as good a name as uh, Pansy Hammer, which is yeah. Debbie Reynolds' name, <laughs> which, uh, which which they tease out for a good fifteen minutes or so. Yeah. One of the first gags in the movie is that. Uh, that Dobie Gillis is trying to catch her name as as they're meeting in this social environment or whatever, and he keeps getting thwarted in that attempt. Uh, and then we finally find out that it's Pansy Hammer. Yeah, the 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 construction of the film is is interesting because it is so short, and there is so little that actually happens in the movie. Like like you say, they spend fifteen minutes on this one joke that isn't even really all that funny. But you don't really mind that it, they're just kind of stretching this out. And 15 minutes out of 75-minute running time is a lot of movie just to find out the lead actress's character's name. Mm-hmm. But uh, there, there's only a few musical sequences. I think uh, uh, Bobby Van gets a solo dance, uh, which uh, is what we just heard. Uh, he sings I'm Through With Love. Uh, Debbie Reynolds sings uh, All I Do Is Dream Of You, which... Uh, she also sang in uh, in singing in the rain. Singing in the rain. And then there's a uh, there's like a group number that is uh, that is Bob Fosse just kind of blowing up the MGM musical. Uh, and that that's my favorite part of the film is just seeing Fosse and just seeing how he does not fit in the Debbie Reynolds world, and just the like the clash of the two of them in this totally amiable and and kind of silly B movie is just really really exciting to me what what did you think of this 
I really like this movie. I um, I think this movie is a wonderful, wonderful example. You know, I, I meet people often, you know, that are scared of movies and they, they think they're going to be bored um they think they're going to be the movies aren't going to be funny um it, you know it's black and white and all of these things and, and it just turns people off uh even give something a shot this is a movie that i would really quickly shoot up the top of my list of, of movies to suggest to somebody that has that kind of uh silly aversion to, to older films because you said it's so light it's it's surprisingly in a way i mean I, I i have no qualms with older movies i love older movies and i and i've never really uh, ever had a problem with them but um but it does it, it it's so goofy like it's a weird movie like and 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 the comedy is uh really funny like i love the fact that debbie reynolds anytime she gets near a beaker in a chemistry class she like blows up the classroom. Like, I mean, it's just goofy stuff like that, that um, is very endearing. And um... it's a, it's a very unusual side of Debbie. Like, like I, I, I talked about uh, Beyduna's crazy eyes and, and she's got crazy eyes and, and Debbie Reynolds normally does not. But when she is in yeah, that science lab, uh -huh. the, it's there. It's, it's the dark side of Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. It, and, and I also love her. She is cute as a button at the end of this movie when she comes in dressed as a like a gypsy woman and she's like got her teeth blacked out and you know wearing like a a was boy's it, cap and stuff. Was it like the Ukrainian polka band or something? Right, that they yeah she joins <laughs> to get back to the college. Yeah. Um. So so this movie, I, uh, and also people that are afraid of musicals, I think, like you said, it doesn't have ten, too many musical numbers that could kind of wear on somebody. Um, and then going back to what we were saying a minute ago about contemporary musicals, versus, I think I love the music here. You know, a lot of it is songs that, you know, they're it, not, you know, not an original score really, you know, like you said, uh, songs are recycled from other films and, and what have you. But um, I love that version that they sing on the boat where uh, Bobby Dan's playing um, ukulele. Mm -hmm. And, and like you said, Debbie Reynolds is singing and it, and it's just really, just sweet and and uh it's just a whole lot of fun i really really did enjoy this that's cool what did you think of bob fossey <laughs> i like bob fossey uh because I, I i love bob fossey as a a performer and and he he didn't act a lot he didn't do but, much, very much of it at all and this is one of his i mean earliest things too yeah, he uh, he was he's in he's, he's in, in like Kiss Me Kate. He's in like the chorus in Kiss Me Kate, and he's got like this one scene where he very clearly did the choreography for his own dance. He has a bigger role in in Give a Girl a Break, where where he uh, actually gets to like uh, uh, be the romantic uh, pair for Debbie Reynolds, and then uh, he's in uh, he's got a couple of scenes in in My Sister Eileen in 1954 but this this is like pretty much it for him as a performer like he I don't know if uh they didn't know what to do with him he was like self-conscious about going bald there was like a lot of things that pushed him behind the camera and and to Broadway but uh I which I, is okay cuz I mean look, I mean this you know the stuff that he did after that um 
sure. you know, all that jazz. I mean, hey, maybe if he had stayed in front of the camera, he wouldn't have come around to making all that jazz and, and the world would be a worse place for it. But, but, um, his, but it is it is interesting as, as like an artifact to actually see him as a performer um, within this kind of world. Yeah, because Bobby Van and, and Debbie Reynolds are very much in like the traditional MGM mold. Like they're they're in the star system. Bobby Van is like a he's like a less good looking Gene Kelly. He's he's very. I don't want to say he's bland. Uh, his looks are, are very bland. But yeah. you know, I think I think as a star of of this uh, film, like I I I think he's a really great Dobie Gillis. Like yeah, he's, he's he's good. I, yeah. I I don't mean that as like an insult. No, I know. But, I understand. But no, I mean, there's a reason why he's starring in the B movie and not in An American in Paris. Sure. Um, but he's he's in that mold. He's he's always got a smile. He's he's very amiable. His his choreography is is sweet and nice, and it's athletic and it's he's very good. I I really like his uh, his, his dance, dance number. number. Is wonderful. It is it's it's very it's very odd. It's like it, he's got this kind of like slippery quality to it. Uh, yeah, it's 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 almost like a a little like a, a, the Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. Yeah, what, yeah. What was his name? Uh, not Bert Lahr, uh, 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 oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Mike. Come on. Uh, uh, Ray Bolger. Ray Bolger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little like Ray Bolger like, and, and, and. And and Debbie Reynolds is just like is is sweet and innocent and she's the all American girl and then and then Bob Fosse in uh, you can't do you can't do wrong doing right when he when he comes out there and starts doing Bob Fosse choreography in the Debbie Reynolds world it, it's like a thunderbolt it's like this is something entirely new that we've never seen before he's like all angular and he's he's jagged and I think you know that. It's like a, a premonition of what is to come in the 1950s, because I, you know, I think that there is like interesting stuff going on thematically around the movie that isn't, you know, the subject of the movie at all. Like the the movie is, a you know, a, a light comedy, but it's it's kind of reflective of this generational trend as the 1950s get going and this is just just as rock and roll is about to break through and just as about right. as teen culture is about to take over american culture and and dobie gillis is is kind of like an an, an early version of of like the 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 james dean archetype or like the rock and roll uh kind of you know marlon brando in uh the motorcycle movie the wild one well, uh, I, and watching this, I, I even remarked while I was watching, I was like, the template for this is the is it's the same template for any movie uh, of its ilk for the next 40 or 50 years. You've got the, the straight laced dad, you know, mm -hmm. the, the movies just got a little raunchier or they yeah, got a little, you know, the, the plot is, is essentially the same as Animal House. Right. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, it, or or rock really and roll high school for for that matter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, so it's just you get it's, Debbie Reynolds in her underwear. I mean, it's pretty yeah. risque. Yeah, it's like a, an embryonic version of what is about to happen in the right. culture. Sure, and you and and Bob Fosse to me is is that personified. Like he's the unstable element that is in this movie that that like can't be contained in the right. MGM world. Sure. Absolutely. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's a, a so, um, the show. Bobby Van wasn't didn't play the character on the show, right? It was a whole new yeah yeah kind of cast and stuff. Yeah, um, and it's a shame because I I could have you know I would have gone to the picture show every every year or two to see the new Dobie Gillis movie. Yeah, you know? it's it's fun. It's a nice little world to live in. Yeah, uh, uh, the uh, 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 Bob Denver got his start on the on the TV show uh, Gilligan. Oh, okay, not he, John Denver, but Bob Denver. B- Bob Denver. <laughs> he he plays a, a beatnik. The character's not in the movie. Uh, he's a, a a beatnik named Maynard G. Krebs. He's kind of the most famous character from the TV show, and that is uh, that is Gilligan. Nice. But uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't seen the show for years. But uh, I don't know. I I I recommend the other the other uh, Debbie Reynolds movies as well. Uh, Give a girl a break is a really underrated kind of Stanley Donen movie that is uh, it's got like some great uh, dance sequences. Whenever whenever Fosse's on in a movie, he's always obviously choreogra- choreographing himself. Like he doesn't do other people's choreography. Mm-hmm. So that's that's why his number in 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 Kiss Me Kate stands out so much, uh, and it's kind of the same in uh, in Give a Girl a Break, which has a much bigger cast, but and and he and, and Debbie Reynolds are a smaller part of it, but it's uh it's got some really cool stuff, and I I love Melvin is it might be the most fun of any of these three movies. Uh, just Reynolds I... and, and Donald O'Connor are just a joy. <laughs> Well, I love the title. You know that much. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I love Melvin. Mel- oh, oh, I'm I sorry. I love Melvin. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, we'll have to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, th- we will not be listening to the Melvins here, uh, no, no matter how hard I try. But we're going to listen to uh, the Vaselines once more uh, with a great song called Oliver Twisted. That'll do it uh, for this show. Uh, 
next time, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to give our, our SIF recap um, of, of hopefully the many, 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 many films that we'll be seeing at the Seattle International Film Festival over the next two weeks. Um, and also we have a special interview uh, with Atticus Ross, uh, who we all know from previous episodes when we talked about uh, Gone Girl and we played the music that he made with Trent Reznor. And he has a... Um, credit on a new film about brian wilson and so i interviewed him and we will include that on the show as well um if you are in portland uh the hollywood theater uh is doing a whole bunch of good stuff as usual um but the grindhouse film festival which is a subset of this organization is going to be showing a 35 millimeter print of uh dario argento's suspiria uh one night only tuesday may 26th um, at 7.30 p.m. And I've said it on the show before, I'm, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of Deep Red uh, from Argento. I think that's a much, much stronger film. But seeing Suspiria in 35 on the big screen with a crowd of people sounds like a night that would be hard to beat. So if you can make it down to Portland or up to Portland, wherever you are coming from, uh, it's only eight bucks. You've got no excuse. That sounds good. My my pick is going to be something that is playing at SIF, and if I can find what date it's actually playing, because the calendar is not helpful. Is it the Apu trilogy? Uh, they, that would be a good one. That is playing on on Saturday the twenty fourth. They're doing all three films of the of Satyajit Ray's Apu trilogy. Uh, but no, the one I'm thinking of is the uh, kind of double feature of uh, Cave of the Silken Web and Cave of the Spider Woman. Uh, the there's the the Spider Woman is the the Chinese silent version of the story, and then the uh, Cave of the Silken Web is the remake by uh, uh, Ho Meng Hua, and that is playing at some time. <laughs> the page on the website doesn't actually have the date. Well, you can go to sif.net to find yeah. out more, or. Better yet, you can go to seattlescreenscene.com and find out. You can read reviews about all of the films that we've seen so far that we're allowed to write about uh, for SIF. There are a couple, like when Marnie was there, the new Ghibli film, uh, that have uh, holds on them, so we can't uh, we can't actually write about them yet. But we'll we'll probably we'll have a time to discuss them a little bit. But seattlescreenscene.com, we've got as much coverage as we can possibly cram into there for the for the festival, and we'll also have information on the showtimes of uh the rep stuff red shoes and all that stuff too wednesday uh, wednesday june 3rd wednesday june 3rd there you go be there or be square i think uh, it's i think that's the fourth wednesday of the festival perhaps the third the festival goes on forever it really does it really does um <laughs> anyway yeah that that is the one i'm really looking forward to because uh chinese silence are hard to find and then it's is paired with a shaw brothers movie and it, the silent has a live score you can't go wrong with that it sounds like a good time yeah uh you can find out more about us on the george sanders show.blogspot.com uh past episodes are there all that good stuff uh, we're on Twitter at Geo Sanders Show, and we have an email account, the George Sanders Show at gmail.com. Uh, so for, that's it for now. Uh, I think we got to get back to watching movies because uh, it'll never end, Sean. Yes. <laughs> so, as usual, George is going to take us away with his wonderful, wonderful voice. We'll see you next time.
Bye. Bye. Just a kiss, a sigh is just a sigh. The fundamental things apply as time goes by. And when two lovers woo, they still say I love you. On that you can rely. No matter what the future brings, as time goes by, moonlight and love songs never out of date. Hearts full of passion, jealousy and hate. Woman needs man. And man must have his mate that no one can deny. It's still the same old story, a fight for love and glory, a case of do or die.